What's up, kid folks? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we are going to talk about what has transpired at the University of Colorado in just a week's time. Also, going to get into some takeaways I got about Oklahoma, and you will hear from McLeod Bethel Thompson, quarterback of the New Orleans Breakers, as they prepare to take on the defending and undefeated Birmingham Stallions. So let's talk about Oklahoma to start. I was at Oklahoma on Wednesday to talk with Coach Venables for what was a really interesting and cool interview. I want you to go check it out. And then I was back on Saturday for Oklahoma spring game where a couple of things jumped out to me. One, Jackson Arnold can spin it, right? He will be the number two on the depth chart going into the fall. Dylan Gabriel, redshirt senior, is the starter, and that's what you want. But you see why Jackson Arnold was named Gatorade National Player of the Year. A guy who fell just a couple yards short of passing for 3,000 and rushing for 1,000 at Denton last year. A guy that was 28-3 as a starter. Really outstanding spinning the ball. Also had a 53-yard run where he was gallivant through the middle of the defense. I think the rule was you're supposed to put one hand on him and then the quarterback's down. I didn't see anybody put a hand on him, but Coach Venable said, hey, uh, bring that one back. I don't think anybody's going to learn or get better from watching Jackson Arnold rock through the middle of the defense, all right? Now, that's a superlative. One of the things that worries me is the offensive line looked awful. There's no way of getting around that, okay? For those of y'all that don't watch film or didn't play high school football where you had coaches that taught you the fundamentals of watching film, you start by watching the center, right? You watch the center, you watch the players around the center, and then later you follow the ball. If the center is going backward, that's bad, I saw a center going backward with the ones and the twos. Now, you can look at that two ways. You could say the offensive line is bad, or you could say the defensive line got that much better. I am inclined to take your case that the defensive line might have got that much better because they brought in some outstanding transfers. Desan McCullough from Indiana, not necessarily a defensive lineman, but a guy that's lining up on wide receivers and can rush the passer. Jacob Lacey from Notre Dame. Rondell Bothroyd from Wake Forest. They have dudes that you can trust on that side of the, of the line of scrimmage. That said, Bill Beatonbow is one of the reasons Oklahoma had been so good over the last decade. His offensive line, putting guys in the NFL regularly, first-round draft picks, you're used to seeing them dominate. It's the kind of space where Oklahoma would pass for 300 and rush for 300. I would like to see more of that. Again, it's a spring game. It's one practice, but we were all allowed to watch it, so these are the conclusions that we will draw. Again, D-line looked elite. I really love knowing that the defensive line might be able to get on it because that was a drawback of the 2022 defense. And one of the reasons why they were so bad on third down, and they probably gave up more yardage and points than they should have. Couldn't get there with four. Perhaps that changes in 2023. Okay, Peyton Bowen on the other side, really good. There's no way of getting around this, all right? Peyton Bowen's a true freshman, early enrollee, playing safety. And one of the first pass plays of the game that dude made the kind of play that had Oregon and Notre Dame breathing down his neck to get him there. It's the kind of play that Jeff Levy, offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, singled out in the postgame pressure going, hey, look, could we have led our receiver a little bit farther? Yeah, been a little more aggressive throwing the ball down the field? Sure. But Peyton Bowen went out there and made a play. Like that's the, I, can't, I can't defend that. You can't expect the safety to make the kind of play he did on the sideline the way he did. And now I get to say a word. Oklahoma might be better offensively because while Peyton Bowen made a play, play early in the game, 
There's one near the line of scrimmage that went for a TD late in the game where Jackson Arnold found Gavin Freeman on a post pattern covered by Peyton Bowen, made a play to basically put them in position to win the game for the practice squad they were playing for. I believe it's the white team that was playing against the red team. But I point that out to say Gavin Freeman is a native of Oklahoma. Matter of fact, down the street, Oklahoma City. Okay, he went to Heritage Hall. If Heritage Hall sounds familiar, that is where Wes Welker went to high school. That is where Sterling Shepard went to high school. And apparently, if you're playing wide receiver there and you catch 73 balls, 1,400 yards like Gavin Freeman did, I think they should just offer you at Oklahoma on general principle. They did not. Matt Wells at Texas Tech ended up offering Gavin Freeman. Yeah, turnover to staff. The new staff at Texas Tech didn't necessarily want to honor the scholarship, which is their prerogative. Gavin Freeman, whose father played at Oklahoma, decides to walk on at Oklahoma, and you got another Drake Stoop story right there because that dude is a baller, and that dude can play. For him to make plays like the one he did against Peyton Bowen, who was a highly rated recruit, also underscores the kind of talent that is in my state. And one of the things I keep trying to drill into every football coach, whoever coaches football in the state of Oklahoma, if you win at home, you will win everywhere else. And Gavin Freeman is an example of that going up against Peyton Bowen, really screwing it up, I think, for a, a lot of coaches who are going to get ushered, like lots of tape from walk-ons going, see, coach, I can play too. I can be your next Gavin Freeman. More power to him. Also, wildly, Drake Stoops, he's going to pick up his fifth letter in 2023. His fifth letter. That is a kid that walked on that Lincoln Riley probably was a little bit harder on because Bob Stoops is his dad. And, you know, we understand Drake Stoops is not going to need a scholarship to go to the University of Oklahoma. Still, walked on, became a player, and now is one of your most dependable wide receivers going into 2023. That's the kind of guy that Gavin Freeman could be. Now, on a big picture scale here, I was watching Brent Venables all day. And the Brent Venables that I grew up watching is not the guy that coaches Oklahoma today. The Brent Venables I grew up watching is passionate, has loud everywhere, is a guy that needed his own personal get-back coach because he was on the field so often they were afraid at Oklahoma and Clemson that he would draw a penalty because that's how hard he coached the defense. Rufus Alexander tells a great story on a podcast I used to do a very long time ago about how Brent was maniacal about the details. He would say, Rufus, I need two steps. Two steps to your right. Coach, two steps, doesn't matter. Two steps to your right. Took two steps to his right. The play, play came right to him, and he made the tackle because that is how much Brent Venables cares and how detail-oriented he can be as a position and coordinator. Now, position coaching coordinator. Now, the guy that I saw at spring game was as docile as I'd ever seen him. His hands are inside of his hoodie. His head doesn't really move when the defense makes a play, doesn't really move when the offense makes a play. He waits for the officials to set the ball, and then he walks behind them, stand about 10 yards deep behind the quarterback. And I kept thinking to myself, that's how Bob did it. Bob Stoops was also a defensive coordinator who was animated, who wanted his players to do it this way and that way all the time. But Venables, like Stoops, taking it all in, making his own notes, and then told us all, hey, look, that's the way I do it. That's how practice goes for us. I'm taking it all in. I'm evaluating everybody, and I want to make sure that we're doing the little things correctly. Coach, what do you mean by little things? Are we running on and off the field? Are we getting there like we got a sense of purpose? Are we taking care of all the little plays that we can take care of 
that can lead to bigger plays. Are we getting our layups is the way that he would put it. And I really love that. I love hearing that. I also love hearing that Venables plans to meet with each and every player over the next couple of weeks before they go on their summer break. Again, I love that. And that's what I got out of our conversation, right, is a coach that is not shook, who understands what needs to get done, understands that it is supposed to be hard. And if it isn't hard, he doesn't trust it. So I was asked earlier as I'm talking about doing this show and the interview that we performed at the University of Oklahoma about what is the bar for success for Oklahoma in 2023. What has been the bar for success at Oklahoma for the past 25 years is my answer. Did you win the Big 12 championship? Did you put yourself in a position to play for a national championship? Cool. That's the standard. And it's on the Red Room, which is just south of the stadium where they have media. On the Red Room wall, says best is the standard. I don't know what else that could mean except you need to be the best in everything you do. Very excited to see what Oklahoma can do in its final season of Big 12 play with everything to play for. All right. Let's shift from that Big 12 program to a program that used to be in the Big 12, and that is the Colorado Buffaloes. Now, this is wild. It's wild because I'm looking at how the narrative has changed and or gotten out of hand. So right away, first thing we saw Saturday as Colorado was on national television, Colorado football, national television as it's sleeting and it's cold, is you see Shadour Sanders throwing passes to, yeah, that dude, Travis Hunter, a guy that was going to be, you know, maybe the best cornerback at Florida State, who ends up going, no, I'm going to go to Jackson State. I'm going to go both ways. And then I'm going to follow Coach Prime to Colorado, where I'm also going to go both ways. And you could see that there were guys out there that were making plays. And by all accounts, that Colorado spring game was a success. They had 47,000 people at Folsom Field in what, could best be described as cold weather. And people were excited about what the Buffaloes might be able to do come Pac-12 season. And then by Monday, the narrative had flipped totally on its head. So here's what we know about Colorado football. And then we will take it all into account and assess it, right? 18 players entered the portal after spring practice ended at Colorado on Saturday for Monday. So that's 18 on Monday. By Tuesday, April 24th, that number's up to 20. Uh, Tuesday, April 25th, that number's up to 20. It might go up, it might go down. But Coach Sanders also spoke about this on Saturday. He said, I didn't kick them out, they walked out, right? Which is another way of saying either they knew something or they knew something, right? Now, perhaps that's reaching too far, but I do think it's important to point out two things here. One is, Prime said he was going to flip the roster. He said that. And he started doing that almost as soon as he stepped foot on campus. Number two there, there have been 40 newcomers to Colorado since Prime got to Colorado. Now, that number includes staff as well as players. But 41 players have entered the portal since Prime got to Colorado. 62 have entered the portal from Colorado since they began in 2022. But what nobody seems to want to say is, when you go 1-11, and 11, a lot of people don't want to play football there anymore. All right, so that's that, right? Now, let's add another prime quote to this that we got from Saturday following the spring game. You all know that we are going to make some moves. We're going to move on from some team members, and we're going to reload and get some kids that we really identify with. So this process is going to be quick. It's going to be fast, but we're going to get it done. All right, 
That's another way of saying, hey, I want my guys, which is what every coach ever says. Matter of fact, they say it most when they ain't got nobody. When you don't have talent on your team, you say, no, we didn't get five stars. We got our five stars. We got our guys. Oh, yeah? Somehow the guys that you didn't want to go get end up kicking your head in, and then we got to talk about your guys. Prime has decided, no, 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 no. We got to go get players. We got to go get players so we can go win football games. So if you don't think you have what you need, what are you going to go do? You're going to go get it. Now, now we're talking about amateurism versus what professionals do or don't do, right? Because some of y'all are still getting woke to the committable offer. And the idea of a national letter of intent is not a four-year contract. It is a one-year contract that has to be renewed every single year. And you just don't hear as often about the guys who don't get their contracts renewed. If that sounds like professionals, it's because that's what you've been doing to kids that play college football since we invented the idea of a national letter of intent, which is slanted toward the university. That's why financial aid agreements are a little bit more sexier. They put the university on the hook, whether or not the kid plays football or not, ensuring that they get that education that so many of you think is so important versus them getting paid to play this game, which is another story altogether. But let's get back to the transfer portal numbers here for a second. Lincoln Riley goes to USC following Oklahoma, makes off with the Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback, gets a Heisman Trophy out of half the staff, also loses, in air quotes, loses 21 scholarship players to the portal. Nobody says boo. Everybody just says that's roster management. That's what you got to do in this day and age. Okay, cool. What about other programs? Well, in this cycle, Arizona State has seen 29 players enter the transfer portal. They got a new head coach. His name is Kenny Dillingham. Ole Miss has seen 29 players enter the transfer portal. You know how Lane Kiffin wants to do this. He's looking for the best players all the time. He's got three different quarterbacks that could start for him right now. Spencer Sanders, Jackson Dart, and of course, my goodness, Walker Howard. All right, that, that's off the top of my head Well, as I lose my pen. Arkansas has seen 27 enter the transfer portal. Oregon has seen 26 enter the transfer portal. Texas A&M has seen 26 enter the transfer portal. But we talk about prime, right? Now, you want to be negative about it? Cool. That's great. I mean, it's April. You can do that. He had five quarterbacks. Now he's down to one. Tell me which one of them dudes you thought was going to play. The one that's still there? The one named Shadour Sanders who was throwing passes? All right, me too, right? Ten wide receivers were on the roster. None of them are returning. Ah, okay, cool. So Travis Hunter, not a receiver for you. Okay, Cormani McLean doesn't have the capacity to go both ways. All right, fine. But even if you want to take those numbers as they are, right? Eight of his 14 offensive linemen graduated or transferred. Eight of his nine defensive linemen graduated or transferred. That portal has seen more than 500 dudes enter it since it opened. Now, everybody that goes in ain't coming out. But there are a bunch of guys that are going in that are good. Now, whether or not Prime can pull them out, that's what you are really wanting to know. To which I would put it this way. Coach Prime showed up to Jackson State University and flipped a loser into a winner. Okay? Not just a winner, but they won the SWAC championship back-to-back years. Last year, they went undefeated in the regular season. Okay? He has got dudes drafted at Jackson State after I believe it was like 10 years before JSU had seen a player drafted at Jackson State. Now he's at Colorado, which, by the way, is the only FBS program in history to hire three consecutive black coaches in a position where they can measure the same. So what we're talking about is, do you trust Coach Prime to go into the portal 
and pull out the guys he wants and have enough of them on scholarship to go compete. To which I say, I got one of them too. And the last time I checked, the person that bets against Prime usually loses. All right. That is going to do it for that segment as we are going to go talk to New Orleans Breakers quarterback McLeod Bethel-Thompson about just what he wants from the USFL, just how he's going to go get it. I'm pleased to be joined by New Orleans Breakers quarterback McLeod Bethel-Thompson, Mac for short. Mac, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, brother, I'm excited about this. There are a number of topics that I want to get into with you, but we're going to start with surface and landscape. You guys get to play the defending USFL champions in Birmingham at Protective Stadium. You're both 2-0. It is my most exciting game of the week. What do you think about that team so far? What have you seen on film, and what's the challenge to unseat the defending champs? No, I, I absolutely love it. This is the games that you want to play. You know, they, they're clearly a good defense. They've clearly been playing together for uh, a season now plus, and you can see that on film. You can see how they can adjust. They run multiple coverages, multiple fronts. Uh, they're bringing blitzes from different sides, complicated scheme, and they got good, confident players. So um, we <laughs> we haven't started so well the last two games, so it's about us coming out and starting faster and then being able to handle their experience. You know, they're, they are going to throw a lot at us. They are going to be more multiple, more varied in their blitz packages and their coverage packages. So uh, we're excited. This is why you play the game of football. You don't want to play the easy opponents that you just walk over. You want to play the, the good players, you know, and the good teams and the good defenses because that's how you test, you know, sharpen your sword. Um, so this is a, is a big game for us and, and because it's the next game. So we're excited to go out there and, and test our, our, our metal and see how good we are. I hear you on starting fast. I know Coach uh, Phil uh, Flip has been able to really get that out of you guys in going, hey, look, I, I would like us to score points in the first half and play good football in the first half so we don't have to come on like gangbusters in the second half to finish games. But you guys have been able to do that. and It's been exciting to see taking care of the football, getting timely plays on defense, uh, yourself in particular, along with guys like Bonte Diggs, who have been veterans, not just in this league, but in other leagues is really coming to show, but I want to talk about you for a little bit, getting your background, seven NFL teams, three stints with the Niners arena league, United football league, great cups, two of them uh, in the Canadian football league. Hey man, you've been doing this since 2011. Why do you want to do this in the USFL? You know, cause I'm still, I'm still chasing my best game. I'm, I'm still chasing that best player, you know, for a long time early in my career, uh, especially if you're looking at college and then through the NFL, it, there wasn't a lot of game time there. Uh, whether it be injuries in college or, or you know, bouncing around the NFL and, and not playing. And so I'm still chasing my best self. I'm still still chasing what, what kind of quarterback I can turn myself into. Quarterback's such a unique position. It's it's so dependent on the 10 bodies or 11 bodies around you um, that your success is so dependent on them. It's about you being the secret sauce that can kind of make every play work. So it's as much a a physical, emotional, and spiritual kind of excellence that you can elevate on every play to kind of make that play work so I'm still chasing that perfect game you know that where I can control the whole game and move the team up and down the field and, and put the ball exactly where I want to put it 45 yards down the field on the hash you know and do that repeatedly over and over and do it for 65 plays in a game so uh, the USFL was a great opportunity this year because it allows me to do family and football at the same time um, and do it on a national stage for my, my family and loved ones to watch it you know here in the states so um, I'm excited to just play good football and put that complete game together. For those that do not know from Sacramento state to this journey into professional football, but 
You also not just picked up this awesome beard, which rivals my own, frankly. Like I don't, I don't run into that a whole lot. I don't. People usually comment on my beard game. I got to comment on yours, but I'm really impressed with your family. Right. One of the things that I thought was cool about the first time I got to cover a New Orleans Breaker game this season is they did put a spotlight on Chinaka and what she's been doing and how she got there. Now, full disclosure, right? My partner is white. We watch a lot of uh, deaf poetry just to cool out. And she said, wait, Chinaka Hodge? I mm-hmm. said, yeah. Oh, you better treat her right. And I said, oh, the Ooh. legend. Oh, oh, the so, legend. I'm yeah, saying, you know, I'm right. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> but among other things, she's a head writer for Ironheart, which is going to come out on Disney Plus, right? Based on the character Riri Williams, I believe she's going after the Eve Ewing part, but that's getting into the weeds, comic books. I want to really unpack that, right? Because it also means that you get to talk about Aziza. And wait, while I'm here, Aziza Bethel Thompson Hodge, is that what we got? Aziza Celia Island Bethel Thompson Hodge. So wow. Island is, is her middle name. Celia is my great aunt's name from El Salvador. Celia and then Island is spelled E-I-L-A-N-D is my wife's family's last name. So um, yeah, so she's got a doozy. I got a long one too now. So so it games on when I got stuck with McLeod John Baltazar Bethel Thompson. So I had to stick my daughter with Aziza Celia Island Bethel Thompson just, just for a little, you know, parental torture. Well, hey, I'm Roy Alexander Zenas Young. They all call me RJ. So it's, it's something about that, right? But I did want to talk about just what it means for you to have your wife or excuse me, your partner in Birmingham as you guys go through this. Because one of the things that I learned from her is she wasn't in a football. She wasn't a football fan. Matter of fact, the way she put it to me is my mama used to make me watch football on punishment, but she loves you. And man, I'm telling you, I'm a football guy, college football guy, first football guy. I'm sitting next to her and she is absolutely losing her mind while you're out there <laughs> making plays. And she's right on top of it as Dakota Prukop is also keeping watch on Aziza. You guys have really created a great family unit down there. And I just wanted to hear how that came together for you. Well, I want to go back for a second talking about beards. So I'm going to okay. I'm definitely going to talk about family because I will talk okay. about Shana all day okay. long, every day. But I want to talk about beards. So. This beard is the longest it's been. And I want to say, so our last, our great cup this last year in November was in, in mm. Saskatchewan, in, in Regina, Saskatchewan. And it was negative 12. So I feel like there were some Norse roots and some Viking heritage that like kicked in. And it's like, hey, it's game time, guys. Let's let's grow this thing, you know? So so that's why the beard came about. And and I want to, you know, put a little backstory on that. But but to family, um, it means everything. The, the sacrifice, the, the, the continued sacrifice that Shanaka makes for for my career um is humbling and it makes me <laughs> it makes me want to go out there and play better and 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 enjoy every moment um of course you know birmingham wasn't nothing's wrong with birmingham but it was not her first choice as to where to be this this at this time of her career you know she's from oakland yeah yeah she's from oakland she could be in la she could be in atlanta she could be in the mecca she could be meeting with the top dogs in hollywood she does it on a, on a day-to-day basis and she has to take a plane flight to do that or, or, you know, and she's always there. She's there week in, week out. Every other week, she takes a trip out to LA and I want to get into all of her business, but um, she's willing to make that sacrifice for me to play this crazy game. And it's just, it just speaks to, to all the football players and how sitting behind every football player, every good, every great football player is a community. Um, We go through physical, emotional and, and, and spiritual roller coasters to play this game that it takes it's all in you got to be all in to play football you want to put your body soul and mind on the line on a weekly basis 
And as a result, you ride that roller coaster. And so behind all football players is a community, whether it be parents or, or loved ones or wives or daughters or sons or everything is it is that that's what I see most. And I don't think is, is cherished or celebrated enough is that support network and what it takes to support a football player because they don't function and they don't play at that level if they don't have that support network. That's 100% correct. Uh, I also have a, a dream of having a coach's wife podcast where I just get to talk with players, wives, coaches, wives about what it is, because I, as you mentioned, I got so much be, respect. That, for that would it. be next level. I, I, I Let me know. Let me, Cause okay. that would be, you get some stories. You'd get some doozies. Wouldn't uh, you though? Like not, not for nothing, but you know, you football coach, you don't know what the mortgage bill is. You know, you ain't got to make grocery. You ain't got to make sure people got pants on dog. You got to go coach football. That's your job. Everybody else okay, is taking so I got care a, I got a quick, I got a quick tangent. Here's, a, here's a Nick Saban story. I don't know Nick Saban, but a quick story. So I, I heard this story, third party, but you know how all stories go. So Nick Saban was in high school and he was uh, with like this girl in high school and she was dating somebody else. Mm. And so it took a number of years for him to kind of court her and kind of get her away from this other, this other guy. And finally they got together, ended up being his long-term wife. Um, and they were back visiting in high school. I think they were going to a high school reunion yep. and uh, they were driving past and the guy had owned a car dealership mm -hmm. and in town where they were back home, you know, in their hometown, he owned a car dealership and Nick Saban turned to his wife and he said, Hey, you know, if you had married him, you, you could have been running that car dealership. Kind of like, you know, Nick nudge, nudge, like instead you're with the head coach of Alabama football. And his wife said, no, if I would have married him, he would have been the head coach of Alabama right now. Dude, uh, so, I have told that story like three times on this show. <laughs> I love it so much. It's it's awesome because that is Miss Terry, right? And that yes. is their relationship. He understands. Yes. She talks about how we moved to Alabama and we looked at Alabama as another LSU. Exactly. No, you're, you're nailing it, dog. You're nailing it. Um, I do want to get back to you just a little bit here, though, because I'm 35. You turned 35 this summer. I'm still growing up in what I do for a living, right? Like there are people that do my job well into their 60s. As you are, I believe, the oldest player in the league, what is it that you want beyond uh, that perfect game that you're seeking? I would say, first of all, there's a wise poet once said, an ancient scribe once said, and said, age ain't nothing but a number. So, so I think that first of all, age doesn't mean anything. I think everyone's chasing their own story. And, and I do get those old, you know, that kind of old tag that I have been through a lot. Mm -hmm. um, what, what am, what am I trying to share? I'm trying to sell a little bit of experience. I mean, and for what it takes the breakers to go win a championship, we're going to have to build a brotherhood in the locker room. That's what, that's what it takes. You, you can do all the X's and O's. You got to have the talent. We have the talent. Everyone has the talent. But what makes a championship DNA is how you handle the locker room, how you handle a hard practice on Tuesday. How are your leaders stepping up? How are you knowing who your, your teammates are beside you? Do you know who they are as people as much as you know they're who they are as players? That's what the bond that ties together and how you win a championship. So that's universal. And and so with my experience, what can I share? Maybe I'm talking a little bit more. Maybe I'm sharing a little bit more with my teammates than I would. Maybe I'm opening myself up to the mistakes that I made early on not taking care of my body or doing this that I made at a young age. And I can share that story with them. And my teammates are asking those questions. So along the way, I think I'm just trying to be as much of an open book as I can uh, be as honest as I can uh, be as humbled as I can while trying to play the best ball I possibly can and be the best player in the league. Um, so, so it's kind of that dual side of both of it. And, and yeah, I do get old tag and, and it gets old, but I'm, I'm down to prove it that, that I still got the juice and I still got that young energy as, as well on a week in week out basis.
man, I'm excited to see it, right? I love your vibe. I love how you were getting down with the breakers. I love that you seem to be a calming influence on Coach Filippo, who seems to be a very passionate man like myself. So it's like, <laughs> Coach, I got you, you know, as that man is out there running on a boot, talking about yeah. I'm going to get it done. Uh, yeah, man, I'm very excited to see what you guys can do on Saturday. McLeod, Bethel Thompson, thanks so much for taking time to do the show. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Let's do it again sometime. My thanks to McLeod for taking the time to talk with us here on the number one college football show. I'm going to be in Birmingham for the Breakers versus the Stallions, and I am very excited about it because I believe it is the best game on the schedule this weekend, and we will talk about it when I return for Wednesday's episode and, frankly, in our power rankings, headed into week four of the USFL. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks, as always, to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Katherine Donnelly. Our director is Kyle Holly. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Jack Cogley. Our production assistant is Kiara Santana. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all next week. Doses.